0: Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're in our, about our fourth week in this study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're newer, we've been, we've been studying through the book. And we've said, hey, we think most likely the, the, the writer, the author of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. There, there's some debate on that. It's most widely believed that Solomon wrote it. We know this about Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. You remember this? We talked about this in week one that uh, in 1 Kings we read about this, that God came to Solomon in a dream. And he said, Solomon, ask for anything you want. Think about this. God says to you, anything you want. And Solomon, said, he stopped and he thought about it for a while and he said, Give me wisdom and discernment that I can govern your people. And God was so impressed with his heart. He said, because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for long life, because you didn't ask for the defeat of your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you riches. And I'm also going to give you long life. And I'm also going to give you victory over your enemies. We know that Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived. We know that Solomon was the most powerful man who who had ever lived at that time. He ruled the most powerful nation in the world. We know that that, uh, Solomon had uh, uh, riches and esteem and he he had everything Solomon had it all and we also know this that at one point in his life then Solomon kind of got off track He, he just kind of walked away from God we read where he had 700 wives and 300 concubines it was just a practice of that day that you'd make a military alliance some kind of government alliance and so as a result someone would give you their daughter sorry women that's just the way it was in the ancient world right and so he had all these things, and then he got way off track. And now this is Solomon coming at the end of his life. He writes this book of Ecclesiastes. At the end of his life, we believe he turned around and said, Hey, I'm just letting you folks know I have it all. I've had it all. I've got everything, all the power, all the money, all the wealth. You name it, I got it all. And now I'm giving you some perspective. And so we'd be wise to listen up. And we have talked about different things that Solomon has taught. In that vein, I just want to uh, challenge you. Have you ever noticed... Uh, how, how much things, as we're getting into today, have you ever noticed this, how much things change? Have you noticed how much things change? Like, just, just simple exa- examples. Think about your TV. Think about your TV and how much it's changed. Now, now we have a slightly older TV at our house, so I just took a picture of it. That's our TV at our house. <laughs> Do y'all remember this? It wasn't that long. TVs, TVs were the size of a Buick. How many of you had, the big, you had the big console TV at your house? Oh, yes. Yes, in the name of Jesus. Yes. Right? And so now your TV is like wallpaper. Right? And, and I remember we were in Costco uh, yesterday, I think. And this thing is like 80 inches, Right? And it's like 1200 bucks, 1300 bucks, right? I mean, things are just changing, changing, constant change. You think about how much computers have changed. Some of you remember this? This in your era, this is what computers looked like, right? Now, to be honest, you have more than that right here. Most of you are sitting on more than this room in your pocket right now. Something's changed, changed, change, change, And then we look and we say, some things don't change. Some things haven't changed. And you look around the world today and you see what's going on and you're like, some things never change. What we just talked about in Ukraine and those types of things. Uh, some of the evil that's in the world today, you know, that doesn't really change. That just seems to be a constant. Uh, I remember I was probably in, uh, I'm going to say junior high-ish, junior high elementary. I grew up in Des Moines. Some of you know that. And, and uh, I remember this, that we were sitting at the breakfast table and we heard about a boy a paper boy, because remember, we used to have morning paper and the evening paper. We, we always had uh, paper routes. And there was a paper boy, a morning paper boy, who was stolen. We couldn't believe it. The boy's name was Johnny Gosh. It was all over the national news. A paper boy was abducted. And we all said, what? What? And when things like that would happen, we oftentimes went, what? What happens? Do you notice this? Today, we don't ask what. Today, we simply say where. We simply say, where? You hear, of a, you hear of a mass bombing. You hear of a mass shooting. You hear of some great tragedy like that, and you just go, huh, where was that? Like, that doesn't seem to change. That doesn't seem to change. Like, these things just seem to go on. I don't know if you're aware of that, but for you folks who are churchgoers, those especially who call yourself a follower of Christ, that the, the presence of bad situations, of bad events happening, of evil things happening, is one of people's biggest objection to God. Don't know if you're aware of that. In other words, the thought goes something like this. If there really is this good God, and this God is really all powerful, then why do bad things happen? It's one of the greatest objections to the belief in a God If God is good, if he's all powerful, that's who this God is. Why do these bad things happen? And really, no one states it in this, but really what we're talking about is evil. We're really talking about evil, the presence of evil. If there's this all powerful God, there's this all knowing God, this really good God, how is it that evil exists? And some of you don't necessarily say, How is there a God? But you really, for you, a lot of us, and the thing that we wrestle with is, Is God really good? Is God really all-powerful? Does God really know everything? Because if he really knew and he really understood my situation, he'd step in and do something about it. And that's really the question that Solomon is going to talk about today. So I'm going to ask you in your Bibles, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, I said, if you fill up your Bible now and you're looking through the pages, right about in the middle of Psalms, that's about 150. And then there are 31 Proverbs is the next book. And then, boom, there's Ecclesiastes. And it's about... uh, 12 chapters. And so we're in today in Ecclesiastes chapter four is where we're going to start. So if you uh, have, by the way, and I forget to mention this sometimes, if you don't have a hard copy Bible and you'd like to have a hard copy Bible, I recommend it. I think it's great to be able to scratch and make notes and do all that. If you don't have one, you don't have to buy one. Just grab one off our tables and keep it. That's our gift to you. Just make sure you get the right one. We have English and Spanish. Okay, let's stand to our feet and we'll read this. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'm beginning in verse 1, and I'll follow along as I just read the first three verses. Solomon is saying, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. And so I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born. For they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. And uh, most, uh, most uh, definitely, Father, we, we give you praise for the privilege to come and gather together. No persecution, Father. We've been blessed for all these years. And we're grateful for that. And we've been in your presence and we're grateful for that. And our simple ask this morning, God, is that you would make this, li- this word come to life for us. That you would teach us and instruct us that you speak into our lives as you would have us to know. So grant us that, O oh God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So again, I'm going to say this again, rem- uh, just a reminder. This is Solomon, went off the rails, came back to his senses, walked with God again, and now he turns around and says, he's basically saying, don't make the same mistakes I made. I've got it all, had it all, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, owned the t-shirt company, owned the, t- the conglomerate that owns the t-shirt company, just pay attention now to what I'm saying. So look in your Bibles at verse 1, and Solomon says this. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. F.B. Meyer uh, wrote this one time, and he said that basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said there have been enough tears in the world over time to float a navy that you think of all the pain that people have suffered and, and all the hardship that they've experienced. And he said it's, it's been great. But that, that is part of our world experience, the tears. And then Solomon goes on and he says, the oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. Now, the question for me as I read this, and, and maybe you had the same question too, I wonder exactly what it was that Solomon saw. Like, I'm very curious to know about that. What did Solomon see? What exactly is he talking about? What is he referencing when he speaks of all the pain and all the tears? I have no idea. I don't really know. And we know that Solomon got a little off the rail. And watch Solomon as he continues. He said, so here is my conclusion. That dead people are better off than the living people. The life is so difficult. Life is so tough. That it's actually just better to be dead. Right? And then further, he says this. Not only that, but he said, most fortunate of all are those who aren't even born yet. For they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. They haven't seen it. You'd just be better off, not only that you're dead, you'd be better off to never be born. Remember, we said he got off the rails. He's lost perspective here, right? But again, it brings back the same question. If there really is this good God and this all-powerful God, then why do bad things happen, right? Now, this isn't going to help you, so I'm just I'm, I'm prefacing it. But I'm going to walk you through a string of logic because we, we wrestle with this idea of evil and a god evil and an all-powerful God, evil and a good God, evil and an all-knowing God. And we wrestle with that. How can the two exist? And so what I'm about to do is walk you through a line of logic. That's all. Just briefly, I'll walk you through a line of logic. Having said that, here's what I already know. If you're one of those people right now who are suffering and you're struggling and you're feeling the pain and you're saying, brother, a lot of those tears that are floating in the Navy, those are mine right now. That's what I'm in the midst of. Okay, this isn't going to help you. And this may only frustrate you more. So just know I'm only walking you through the line of logic. How can this God exist? And yet there can be the existence of evil. And it's very simple. So I would just walk you through the logic, which just says this. If evil exists, and we're saying that it does, we would acknowledge that it does. If evil exists, then you have to assume assume that good exists. You have to assume that. Because without the existence of good, how would we know what's evil? It's evil in in relation to what's good. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're going to say there's evil, you would have to acknowledge that there's good. And if you believe and would say that good exists, then you have to assume that some kind of moral law exists. Because moral law is what would help us differentiate what is actually good versus what is evil. If evil exists, you have to acknowledge that there's good. If, there, if good exists, then you have to acknowledge whether well, there's some kind of moral law. If some kind of moral law exists, then you have to recognize that there's some kind of a supreme moral law giver. Because it ain't you, and it ain't me. If evil exists, good exists. If good exists, there has to be some form of moral law. If there's some form of moral law, there has to be some form of moral law giver, which then leads to the existence of God. If there is no God, there can be no supreme moral law. If there's no supreme moral law, we can't differentiate between good and evil. And if we can't do that, then evil can't exist, and we all know that evil exists. So what I want to do then briefly is, it's not conclusive, but I want to give you a bit of the history of, Of evil. And I wanted to talk to you just briefly. This won't be an entire study in that. I'm just just giving you an idea, a rough idea of evil. We know this in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. You can go back home and read this today, but in Genesis chapter 1, we see creation happen. Yes? Creation. And, And there's a repeated phrase: God makes everything, everything he makes. He makes the heaven and he makes the earth. He makes the land and he makes the sea. He makes everything. And after each one, he keeps saying, and It was good. Some of you folks know your Bible. It was good. God sees everything and there's only good. There's only good at that time. In fact, God makes man in chapter 2 he really spells that out and after he makes man he says it is it's really good. It's very good. So all that exists right now is good, but that's when God created the earth. Now, prior to God creating the earth, we know that God is eternal and God has created beings in the heavens. We know that they already existed before the earth. And the reason we know that is because when you get into the book of Job, God is speaking to Job. Well, you know, Job's, Job was suffering and his three, quote unquote, buddies. They come to visit Job and they speak to Job and Job's speaking back and forth. And after he gets done speaking one time, God speaks up. And God says this, oh, really? You're so smart, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. If you're so smart, Job, if you know so much, you tell me. Right? I got some questions for you. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, for instance, Job, what supports the foundations of the earth? Who laid the the cornerstone of the earth as, important word, as the morning stars sang, they were already going on, and as... All the angels shouted for joy, which means this, that when God created the earth and before God created the earth, there were angelic beings. Okay, one of those angelic beings was a cherub, was the king of all the angelic beings, was the supreme ruler of all the angelic beings. And this angelic being was said to be crazy, beautiful, majestic, adorned in unbelievable jewels. But there was a problem. And in Ezekiel, God, now just FYI, just so you know this, in Ezekiel 28, God is speaking to him. And if you go home and you read this in your Bible, say in Ezekiel 28, it'll say to the king of Tyre. It's metaphoric. This is, report, this is uh, referring back to that, that beautiful angel, that angel that was adorned in, in, in jewels and all that. He says to that angel, your heart, this is Lucifer, this is Satan. This is the devil. And he says, your heart was filled with, everybody say it, with what? With pride. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. And now, sin and evil enters the universe. Hasn't come to the earth yet, because the earth hasn't been created. But we have evil in the universe. Okay? Now we go back to Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2. God is creating. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's all good. And now we see Satan once again. And Satan is in the garden. And Satan is the serpent. And man and woman have been placed in the garden. And God says, I'm giving you dominion. I'm giving you rule. Rule the earth. I'm giving you everything. And God gives them all the do's, all the do's, all the do's. Isn't this true? And God gives them one don't. Isn't that kind of how it is? God gives us everything. Everything. And we have one don't. It's that kind of thing. And their don't is this. Don't eat from the one tree in the middle of the garden. You can have everything else. Eat of all the other trees. You can't eat of the one tree in the middle of the garden. And on the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Death wasn't immediate physical death. It was spiritual death. Spiritual death because sin entered the world, and sin always separates man from God. God says, one tree, don't eat it. So now Adam and Eve, and they encounter the serpent. This is Satan. And they encounter him, and Satan says this. Um, did God really say that? How many of you figured out this is, this is the, the, the strategy of the devil? All the devil has to do is get you to squint. Do you know what I'm saying? The devil will say, did God really say that? And if you'll just go, mm, Like that's the strategy of the enemy. Did God really say that? No, no, no. You're not going to die. Here's what's going to happen. The minute you eat of the apple, oh yeah, you'll be like God. In other words, Satan is saying God is this really insecure, petty, and jealous God who who doesn't want anybody else to be like him. And so they had a choice to make. Adam and Eve had a choice to make. They chose disobedience, and they chose sin. That's what they chose. As a result of that, then Paul tells us in the book of Romans that when Adam sinned, now sin enters the world. Adam's sin then brought death, separation from God. And so death spread to everyone for everyone has sinned. That's why you and I live in a world of sin. That's why you and I battle sin in our own lives because Adam made a choice. Furthermore, we know now that this earth is kind of Satan's playground and we see the evidence of it. We see him running amok. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthian church. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world. Now, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. But the God of this world is clearly Satan, and he's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Further, we see the work of Satan. As he writes to the Ephesian church, he says this. He goes, hey, folks, you church folks, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He, Satan, is the spirit that's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. This earth is Satan's playground, and we see evidence of that. Adam and Eve had a choice to make. They chose disobedience. They chose sin. So if you're following this, the next logical question to ask is this. Why would God ever give them a choice? Like, why did God give us a choice? Why does God allow us to choose? Why did God allow Adam and Eve to choose? Why didn't God just simply say, hey, It's all good. This is how it's going to be. And never create them uh, with a choice. Now, understand this. The Bible speaks very clearly that you and I are image bearers. We are made in the image of God. Part of that image is that our God has a will. And so, therefore, you and I have a will so that we resemble our God. But I want to give you just one other principle to think about the reason that God gave Adam and Eve a choice. The reason that you have a choice when something comes up, and you can choose to say something or not say something, you can choose to go somewhere or not go somewhere, you can choose to sin or you can choose to be obedient. And the whole reason that we have a choice is this very principle God wants our relationship with Him to be based on love and not law. It's not a relationship if you and I are programmed robots. That's not a relationship. No one has a real true relationship with a robot. We don't, right? The reason that God gives us a choice, he wants our relationship with him to be based on love. God does not want our relationship with him to be based on law. Now, here's the thing. We go back and we look again at at what Solomon said. Remember, we said Solomon got a bit off track. Solomon said, remember this, most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not yet seen the evil that is done under the sun. See, he's asking the question, if there's a God, why do bad things happen? And here's what I've thought about for the last three weeks as I've been preparing this. I already know this. I already know this. I know that some of you walked in here this morning and you're feeling that tension. God, don't you know what's going on? God, are you even aware? God, do you even see? God, can you hear my cries? God, uh, do you have any power over any of this? Can you do anything about this, God? I mean, I believe you're there. Remember, Solomon didn't say there was no God. Solomon's question, Solomon is questioning the goodness of God. And I already know that you folks walk in here this morning and you're feeling that way. And the reason I know that is because some days I walk in here feeling that way. God! Can't you hear? God, can't you see? God, why don't you do something about this? God, do you have any clue about the pain that I am currently in? And for you people, I've specifically prayed for the last three weeks. And I want you to leave here today a bit more encouraged. See, Solomon thought it would be better off to have never been born because Solomon forgot. Solomon forgot a couple of things. First thing you forgot is what his own father, David, said and what David wrote in the Psalms. And P.S., let me just tell you this. If you're in that situation right now and you're feeling that, you have got to start reading the Psalms. Just start in on Psalm 1 and start reading the Psalms every day. David said this in Psalm 86. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble. Just stop. Do we do that? Do we just call to God when we're feeling that? When we're feeling that just a... When we're feeling that he says I will call you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me why because you O Lord help and comfort me that our God is a God who hears our God is a God who sees our God is a God who knows your situation and he knows the details actually better than you do our God will answer our God will help you he is our comforter Solomon forgot that and he got off track. I'm saying we have this tendency in our lives that when things get really tough, when we're in a lot of pain, our natural inborn human tendency is to turn and to run from God, to distance ourselves from God. That there are plenty of people who've said, you know what, I used to follow Christ and I don't anymore because this happened and God wasn't paying attention. And they turn and they run from God. And I'm saying No. Turn and run to God. you got to have a picture. Your God stands with arms open wide, and he says, run to me. I know you're hurting right now. I know you're distressed. I would tell you this. Some of you need to scream, and you need to scream out loud in your house. You need to raise your fists to heaven, and you need to scream. Read through the Psalms over and over and over and over. He says, David says, I cry out to you. I cry out to you. I think I think we need to run directly to God. I think God stands with his arms open wide and he says, come, 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 come. We read in Matthew, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are mourn. Why? Because they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. I want to read this to you really quick. This is Psalm 13. I didn't put it up on the board, but I just wanted to listen to this. He starts out in Psalm 13, verse 1. And he says, this is David. And he says, oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Have you ever felt that way? And then he says, "Is forever? Like, that's a possibility. God, will you forget me forever? How long will I have to look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand like he's experiencing persecution? Do you notice this? Do you notice how emotionally honest David is? Do you know this, that today, do you know that God's doing all right? Like, have you thought about that? Yeah, God's doing okay, everybody. Like, God can shoulder that. I think we're better... I would just tell you this principle. You can't deal with an untruth. Just remember that. You can't deal with an untruth. God, I'm a little frustrated right now. That's an untruth. You're not frustrated. You're angry. God can handle that. But if you keep saying I'm a little frustrated, you'll never deal with it because that's not truth. What's true is you're angry. You're ticked. I love this because David cries out, cries out, cries out, cries out. Now listen to the end of the psalm. This is only about two verses later. But... I trust in your unfailing love. I'll rejoice because if you rescued me, I will actually sing to the Lord because He's good to me. See, I, I think we've got to cry out to God. You need to know this this morning that that's you and you're struggling with that and it's just been really, really difficult. You need to know this. Your God hears you. Your God sees you. Your God is well aware of what's going on. He's not distant. He, he, he's not oblivious. Our God didn't just spin the world and say, well, it's, I've made it. Now you folks figure it out. Knock yourselves out. Solomon forgot that. He forgot that God sees everything and hears everything. and He forgot that. Now, let, let me just give you one other thought about what, David, or what, what Solomon forgot. And, and, and I've been just confronted with this as I've read the Psalms. And it's changed my view a little bit in my thinking. He also forgot this. That God's going to, I'm sorry, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. I told you that. But here's another thing that he, in Jude, he says this. Listen, listen, don't forget this. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. Now, you and I won't face that judgment as followers of Christ. We've escaped that judgment. But I'm telling you, are you being persecuted by someone? You see evil, you see wickedness. You're like, man, really, God, did they get away with this forever? Jude wrote his letter. Jude is a half-brother of Jesus, a brother of James. And Jude wrote the book of Jude to encourage believers. Understand that believers in the first century were suffering greatly. And he's writing to encourage them to remain strong, to remain faithful. And he says, hey, don't forget, God's coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world then he goes on and he says this, he will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Listen to me. First and foremost, God comforts when we cry out God comforts. And secondly, nobody's getting away with anything. You don't have to worry about that. God's going to take care of it in his timing. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll take care of it. You folks don't have to. I'm paying attention and I'm dealing with stuff. I will deal with it. I just want you to take comfort in that this morning. And so we always have a big so what at the end. And I want you to, to get this idea. I want you to walk out and be comforted. But, but I want you to remember this too, Right? He says this, because I think the question to ask is, why why is God waiting? If God's going to judge, if God's taking care of these people, why isn't he doing it now? Why is God waiting so long? Hurry up, God. Like, I'm experiencing pain right now. Why are you so slow? God, why are you so slow in dealing with these things? God, why are you so slow in dealing with these people? Right. The answer to that is in 2 Peter. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. He's going to judge. He's going to convict. He, he's not being slow about that. Not, not like some people think. No, instead it says this. He's being patient. Why is God being patient? For your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody to repent. Just, just do this for me. Just humor me. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to think back to the time when you say, hey, that's when I first started following Christ. When was that? Got it in your head? Just think in your head. When did you first really start... Following Christ. For some of you, it's last week. I don't know. For some of you, it's been 40, 50, 60 years. You got it? You remember when you first started following Christ? Okay, now think about this. What if God had come back to judge the world the day before that? See, where would you be? You'd be in hell. See, God's not being slow. He's being patient. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. God is just waiting for more and more people to trust in him to come into the kingdom of God. Now, so I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know, I know you're feeling heaviness. I get that. I understand that. And I'm not saying, hey, this is gonna, today is just going to make everything better. I'm just saying, remember this. Number one, our God will comfort. Number two, God, God's paying attention. He's going to deal with the evil. He's going to deal with the wicked. God is going to take care of that. He's just taking his time because he doesn't want anybody to, to, to perish. God wants all to come to faith. God wants all to come to know him. Okay, so now... Our big so what today is this. Here's what I want you to walk out of here. In the midst of all our pain, you can rest assured that our God reigns. Just know that. God's in control. God sits on the throne. God is all powerful. God sees everything. He hears everything. He's going to deal with everything. But you've got to cry out to God. God. Now, so oftentimes, bad things happen, and we run away from God. And I'm saying, don't run away from God. Run directly to God. Run into the arms of God. God stands there with his arms open wide. God wants to have ministry to you. God wants to just hug his children. So the big big now what this week is this. I want you to meditate this week on Psalm 34. And I'd like to read this to you. And I just want you to receive this. And if you're really struggling, if you're really struggling, if your heart is really heavy, if you've had a lot of pain, I want you to just receive this this morning. This is Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he did answer me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help, they will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you, His godly people. For those who fear Him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good things. Come, my children, listen to me. I'll teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Anybody? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's our God. Why do bad things happen? Man made a choice. Sin entered the world. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. Amen. Right? God hears. He sees. He understands. He knows all the details. you got to cry out to God. We don't run away from God. We run to God. We run to God. And so can we do this this morning? Can we uh, stand? I want to pray for us. Then I'd like us to respond. But I know there are folks who are hurting. I get that. This is a weird era that we live in. So, Father, this morning, we acknowledge who you are. We acknowledge that you are the sovereign God, the, the God who is every bit in control. That's you, God. We understand that you are good, that your ways are good. We acknowledge, God, that you see every detail. And because of that, we don't have to fear, we don't have to be afraid. God, I pray that this morning, I know that those who are there and they're hurting. And I pray, God, that you would allow them to sense your presence. God, that there would be a revelation in this house today of who you are. You're the God who blesses those who mourn and you're the God who comforts them. God, I pray that wherever people are today, wherever they're at today, God, that they would feel safe crying out to you. Remind them that you're there, oh God. Remind us of your presence, God, ever-present.